Hey everyone, welcome back. Lorelei here. It's Thursday, November the 22nd. Americans are celebrating Thanksgiving. Ontario is trying to figure out our new premiere and what's going on there. And capital letters are scary. All right, let's go. So welcome back. So before we get started, just a reminder to head over to my website, lauraleesiemens.com to see more content. Uh, we have past podcasts, we have lots of video series, my blogs, book reviews, movie, movie reviews. There's a lot to see. So go check it out. And also please share the content. That would be so helpful. Each of the videos are short and to the point and they can be easily shared. Um, there's series that include things like the abortion debate, uh, the euthanasia debate, there's Kidsmen, and I have some Bible studies that are going to be coming soon. So go to lauraleesiemens.com right now and check it out. That's lauraleesiemens.com. Also, if you live in the London area or near there, I'm going to be speaking at the Right to Life event on January the 25th at 7 o'clock. To get information, call 519-659-3334. All right, so again, that's 519-659-3334 to get information for January the 25th at 7 o'clock in London. Um, I'm also going to put the information for that in the show notes so you can check that out. All right, we're starting off with our new segment that we started last week, being politically correct, because we want to keep up with all these new rules uh, that do seem to kind of change day by day. So it's important to keep up with the changes. This week, we're looking at Leeds Trinity University in the UK. So they have found something very dangerous that needs to be avoided. Now, maybe you're thinking about uh, the rape cases that the government and social services had covered up for years. Uh, maybe you're thinking about the uprise in knife attacks, uh, maybe the terrorist activity, but if you're thinking about any of those things, you are wrong. These are not the most dangerous things that need to be stopped right away. The thing that needs to end, according to Leeds Trinity University, is capital letters. That's right. We have to stop using capital letters. Now, at first, I thought this meant all capital letters, which actually would be great because I homeschool and that would mean I wouldn't have to teach the skill of knowing when to use a capital letter. But as we study this new rule a little bit closer, we see it means not using capital letters to emphasize a word. Also, we need to avoid using the words do or don't as much as possible. And for sure, for sure, never, never, never capitalize the letters in the word don't. That would for sure be traumatizing. So as you're going about your day and you want to be a good citizen who follows the political correct rules, remember we will avoid using capitals. All right, now that we're all good citizens, let's check out this week's news. This last week, the Conservative Party passed a motion and everybody went crazy. According to the media, Ford said the government would no longer recognize gender identity. 
That's not exactly true. And here's what actually happened. The Conservative Party of Ontario does not have a position on gender identity. That's because from the beginning of time until like a week ago, every single person's view on the gender went something like this. Boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. (laughs) Thanks for the tip. But now apparently this is no longer the case. So the Conservative Party needed to know what its stance was on this change. Being a party that allows its members to run the party, they allowed someone to bring a motion that says this needed to be decided. Now, this person was Tanya Allen Graphic, who is very outspoken in her position being against gender ideology. So it's pretty clear what she wishes the Conservative Party to have as its position. However, What the party agreed on was this. They're going to have a debate on this and decide their position in a year. That's just the idea that right there, just the idea that there would be a debate on the issue and it would not automatically go one way was enough to send the media and social media into a flurry. So much so that Ford has said he will not go along with it. So if you believe in gender fluidity and the gender ideology, let's ask ourselves a few questions. One, don't you want to know what a political party believes? Is it not a good thing for the topic to be debated and a clear stance taken? I mean, this way you will know who to vote for. Right now, it's probably just assumed the stance that the conservatives take, but after they debate this and declare it, you will know that for sure. Secondly, do you really want to live in a country where everyone has to say they believe something even if they don't? Is it not better for people to have the freedom to say what they think? And if your belief is a good one and you can easily defend it, then it would be good for people to give another point of view so you can explain yours. If your idea, however, is not defendable, that would be a reason to not want the topic discussed. All right. Here are some reasons the Conservative Party needs to debate this. This is not actually an easy question. As a Conservative, which I am, one of our core principles is the fact that we do not want the government controlling us. We want limited government. So the government should not tell people what gender they need to go by. If you think you're a cat, then by all means, be a cat. However, the government should also not force the person next to you to treat you like a cat. If the person next to you wants to treat you like a human being in the gender you were born with, they should be allowed to do that also. And then there comes the issue of women's rights. One of the things people don't like to talk about is the issue of women's rights alongside the issue of gender ideology. There is the obvious stuff, like suddenly being a woman means how you dress and what you do. We fought for years to say girls can like trucks and girls can be tough. They can dress the way they want. But suddenly now our femininity is in question if we do boy things. They'll just say, well, maybe you're just actually a boy. But women have spent years fighting against that very notion. Then there's female sports. When males with testosterone are winning events against females without testosterone, that's a problem. Females have spent their whole lives training are suddenly being beat by someone who has an unfair advantage because they're male. 
Females have also fought for years for our sports to be taken seriously and be taken as seriously as men's sports. And now there's female athletes losing out to male athletes in female competitions. Then there's the issue of safety. We have male and female washrooms and change rooms for a reason. It's safer that way. But now there's a one-way ticket into a female washroom and change room, and that's a problem. This has been taken to extremes recently when a woman was living in a shelter for women. She was living there because she'd been raped and she was forced to leave where she was living. She lived at this shelter as a way of being safe. But then her new roommate was a man with a full-on beard who wore heavy work boots and had full-on male organs. He was in her room and was her roommate in this women's shelter because he claimed to be female. This woman was afraid to sleep at night with her new roommate or change in the room with this new roommate. She was traumatized, especially because of her past of being raped. She complained and she was told she was the one committing a human rights violation by complaining. That's a problem. And there's a lot of reasons that this gender identity leaves me concerned. Most of those reasons have to do with women's issues. But there's also the issue of children. When do we allow children to make these decisions and how far do we take it medically? The stats are pretty high that most children who believe they are the opposite gender end up growing out of this by the time they're adults. If we have, however, allowed them to medically change their bodies in the meantime, we're doing something permanent that they may not want as adults. We wouldn't let a six-year-old get a tattoo of their favorite Disney character because we know as an adult, they might not want that on their bodies, but we allow children to take hormone blockers and medically change their bodies, even though they may not want this later in life. There's also other identities. I used the cat identity before kind of as a joke, but there's actually a real identity where people think that they are cats. People believe they are cats, goats, horses. There's also race, people claiming to be a different race and age. Now that actually is the one that scares me the most. Could an adult claim to be a child and then have sex with the child and it's no longer illegal since they identify as a child? How far do we go? Where's the line? Should there a line even be drawn? So as you can see, Actually, this topic does need to be debated and it does need to be discussed. This is not a simple yes or no subject. Actually, it's a subject we as a society need actually to be allowed to discuss. But if we're honest, this is a topic we're not really allowed to discuss. We're afraid to ask the questions that I just asked. Even as I was prepping for this podcast, I thought, Do I really want to even ask these questions and put this out on the internet? Will I suddenly be told I'm a horrible person for pointing out some of the problems that I see? Probably I will, but we have to ask these questions and we need to be able to talk about the possible problems. All right, dropping that and moving on to a completely other topic that is also extremely controversial. Today is Thanksgiving in the States, and over the last few years, this day has become controversial. This is the most misunderstood holiday, so for today's story time and for today's history lesson, we're going to tackle Thanksgiving. 
Today I'm going to be starting the story in Yorkshire, March the 19th, 1590. A baby boy was born named William Brantford. A year later, William's father died. And three years later, at the age of four, William's mother remarried and his stepfather did not want to raise him. So William was sent to live with his grandfather. Two years later, at age six, William's grandfather died and he went back to live with his mother and stepfather. A year later, William's mother died and his stepfather, who still didn't want to raise him, sent him to live with his uncle. William lived on his uncle's farm for the next 10 years. But when William was 10 years old, he became very sick and he was unable to help around the farm. He spent his time stuck in bed reading the Bible and he also found a theology book and read it. At the age of 10, he became a strong Christian and a lover of theology. At the age of 12, he went to hear a preacher named Richard Clifton. Now, Richard Clifton was a man who hated the Catholic Church and also didn't believe in the Church of England. He preached that men and women should be allowed to worship God freely, separate from the king's orders. This was the first time William had heard this type of preaching, but he saw the truth of it and he saw that it matched what he'd been reading in the Bible. William's uncles were afraid of Richard's preaching, and they saw him as someone who was creating an upset in the community. William was forbidden from attending Richard's events, but William would sneak out as often as possible to hear the preaching. The group started calling themselves the Scrooby Congregation. William in his teen years became very active in this group. Then in 1607, when William was 17 years old, King James came to the throne. King James declared that all the congregations that criticized the king would be punished. The Scrooby congregation knew this was a target for them. Many were arrested and imprisoned. William's uncles began to demand even harsher that he leave the group. When William was 18 years old, he moved in with a family called the Brewster family. They were a family who held secret meetings for the Scrooby congregation. Then in 1611, King James printed the official state Bible, and no other Bibles were allowed to be read. Anyone with a different Bible would be punished. In 1613, William married Dorothy, and a year later they had their first child, a son that they named John. William began to dream about a place where people could worship God freely, separate from the crown, a place where they could have freedom. But if they could move to this new land... The Americas. They could start such a place. It seemed impossible, but the dream kept growing. Then three years later, in 1620, 50 members of the congregation were given permission from the crown to start a new colony in the Americas. This would mean traveling by boat through dangerous waters, arriving in a place where there was little to no idea what to expect. They would have to start from scratch, but with God on their side, they could start a new place with a new way of life, a way of freedom. Along with 50 members of the congregation were 50 merchants and crews for the two boats they were taking. William and Dorothy knew God was calling them to go and to be spiritual advisors to this group. But William, who had been so but William, who had seen so much death, was afraid to take his son John. He was young and he had already been sick. William and Dorothy were willing to risk their lives for this new adventure, but they didn't want to risk John's life. Dorothy's parents agreed to raise John. It was hard for William and Dorothy to leave John behind, but they felt like it was the best thing for him. 
John ended up doing well with his grandparents. He lived to be 60 years old, which was long for that time period, and he was happily married. All right, the group set out for this new land. They left on two boats, the Speedwell and the Mayflower. However, the Speedwell ended up running into problems, and the Mayflower had to take on all of Speedwell's passengers. This left the people very crowded, and when sickness broke up, it spread very quickly across the Mayflower. It really ended up being a horrific trip. Then November the 11th, 1620, they landed. William Branford volunteered to be one of the people to go ashore and look around at the land. While he was gone, Dorothy fell overboard and drowned. When he returned to the boat, he found out his wife had died. William Branford and the team found land that had been cleared for building houses and growing food. This was, of course, really surprising for them to find. They also found a bag of corn. They took the bag and were trying to figure out what was going on when an Indian walked out of the woods and said in perfect English, Welcome, Englishman. So the land was cleared for them and someone greeted them in their language. This was not at all what they had expected. They met a man named Squanto, and William and Squanto became good friends and allies. Squanto explained his story and how he knew English so well. Squanto had been born around 1585 to the Pachuks tribe. There was about 2,000 people in his tribe. In 1614, a man named George Wymoth had come to trade goods. The tribe had trusted him. But before he left, he kidnapped five of the young Indians. Squanto was one of them. George was from Spain, and he returned to Spain to give what he had gotten from his trip to his boss. The slaves were part of the property that was delivered. The Indians were taught English, and then they were used as a way for new explorers to learn about the land. Squanto's job was to speak to explorers and prepare them what they needed to know when they landed. He taught them the language and customs of the tribe, not only his tribe, but the other tribes that he knew about. Squanto was then sent to England to help the English explorers. In England, he found out other natives had also been taken for the same reason. In fact, the group was so large that in 1610, William Shakespeare made jokes about the group in his play, The Tempest. In 1614, a man named John Smith traveled to the Americas. He had been trained by those stolen natives so he would know how to talk to the natives when he landed. This is the same John Smith featured in the Disney movie Pocahontas. Then in 1618, Squanto was sent on a mission and ended up in Newfoundland. The captain of the ship was Mason Governor, and the next spring, Mason used Squanto for his mission to New England. Squanto then traveled from Newfoundland to New England and landed in his own home area. Mason told him to just stay and go back to his family, but when Squanto left his tribe, there had been 2,000 of them, but now every single one of them had died in an outbreak of an unknown disease. He was now the only living member of the tribe. He lived there for two years with another tribe, the Massasoit tribe. He cleared land, getting ready for farming, and that's when he met William Bradford. The rest of the group left the boat and joined William, and they prayed, thanking God for preparing the land for them. They began to build houses, and the first house was built on December the 25th. But that winter was horrible. It was cold, there was no food, and disease was spreading. In fact, two to three people died every day. Day. The group chose a man named John Carver as their governor, and John signed a peace treaty 
with the Masioet tribe. The tribe would protect the group if they were attacked, and the group would protect the tribe if the tribe was attacked. Then in 1621, the Masioet tribe and the village gathered to have a large dinner together. The village only had 50 people still alive. All the rest had died. The tribe had 90 members, so they almost doubled the group. The natives brought the most food to the dinner, and it was a wonderful time. And it was the start to something America still does today, 400 years later. The next year was the same. Hard, cold, people were starving. All the village worked together to grow the food. There was no property. The village owned everything. Really, the pilgrims had started this new journey with a socialistic government, even though that hadn't been invented yet. Everyone worked hard to make the village work, but what they discovered was an unrest was growing in the village. People were angry that they were working harder than other people, and they thought some didn't deserve to eat the same amount as them because they had worked harder for it. In 1622, the tribe and the village got together again for the second large dinner. Once again, it was the tribe that brought the most food, and the village was still barely surviving. Then John Carver suddenly got sick and died, and William Brantford was chosen as the new governor of the village. Then another boat arrived with more people for their village. On this boat was a woman named Alice Southwood. Her husband had died during the trip, and she had two young sons. William knew this young woman with two small sons would never survive this harsh land on her own. So he married her and to protect her and they grew a family. He also decided with a new addition to the village, it was time for a change. The land was divided up. Each family was responsible for their own area and their own fields. What they grew, they could eat themselves. They would work to create a living for their family, not a living for the village. This was a huge shift and ended up changing everything. The yet the next year, in 1623, the village came with the largest amount of food. Everyone had grown so much food, and also the fighting amongst the villagers had ended, and there was a peace in the area. The tribe and the village had the greatest time that year. William and Alice would go on to have three children. Squanto and William continued to be friends, and Squanto was a legend amongst both the Englishmen and the natives. However, he started using his skill to get things for himself. At one point, Squanto told the tribe to give the Englishmen whatever they wanted because they had the ability to send disease into the tribe and could kill them all. A captain at the time named Captain Standish was making a treaty with the tribe at that time. The tribe became afraid of the captain after hearing this news from Squanto. The captain found out about this and was furious. He came to the village where William was and demanded that William hand over Squanto for execution. William refused to tell the captain where Squanto was. Squanto was a friend and William would not allow him to be executed. Squanto ended up getting sick a little while later and died four days after he became sick. He was buried with the village. According to William's diary, Squanto had become a Christian during his time of working with William. In 1657, William Brattenford died. The alliance between the village and the tribe was still very strong. Then 18 years after William's death, everything fell apart. At that point, the tribe had started to believe the Christian faith. They were even naming their children with names they considered to be Christian names. The chief's son was Alexander. The chief's name was King Philip. The chief's son was doing some work with the tribe and got sick. He died shortly after returning from the village. King Philip was sure the village had killed him. 
King Philip ended the treaty and declared war on the white man. It was a brutal war and sadly ended what had been a 55-year peaceful treaty. Exactly a hundred years after this war in the village, a group of men were signing a paper and declaring their independence from the King of England. During the War of Independence, the tribes were all seen as separate nations. Some tribes sided with England and some tribes sided with the Americans. When the war ended in 1783, the United States of America was founded. George Washington declared a day of thanksgiving. As the nation was created, they agreed the tribes were all independent nations. Each nation had to be dealt with and negotiated with separately. In 1803, President Jefferson bought land from France. It was the Louisiana Territory, and now it was owned by America. The problem was France sold them land where many tribes had been living for over 200 years. It was not until 1830 that this deal would actually impact the tribes. A man named Andrew Jackson started a new party called the Democrat Party. He was voted in as the first Democrat president and the seventh president of the United States. Andrew Jackson passed the Indian Removal Act, which allowed the government to remove Indians from their land and place them in reservations. In order to do this, President Jackson had to make a major change. The tribes would no longer be seen as independent nations living in America, but they would be seen as dependent nations and were therefore subject to America. This was a change that was devastating for the native people. The Democrats stole millions of acres of land and the people were forced to walk for months to their new home. This is what we call the Trail of Tears. The tribes were sent to the most western point of America at that time, Oklahoma. Under this brand new party of the Democrats, 371 treaties were broken. This Democrat party would continue through the years and over the years, people were starting to have a conversation about ending slavery. The Democrat party stood as the fiercest defender of slavery. During this time, Thanksgiving celebrations were still taking place every fall, but each state had its own day and its own way of celebrating. A woman named Sarah Hale had a dream of a day when the whole country would come together and have a special day to give thanks to God. Sarah Hale was a writer and her most famous poem was Mary Had a Little Lamb. Sarah wrote stories about families gathering for Thanksgiving and she would print recipes in her stories, recipes for pumpkin pie and turkey, and the stories she wrote created the Thanksgiving traditions and the look that people use today with their Thanksgiving. Sarah tried to get the presidents to declare Thanksgiving as a national day, but she was ignored. She wrote her stories for 20 years. Then something happened. The conversation about slavery had changed into a movement to end slavery, and another party was formed, the Republican Party. Their goal was to end slavery, and a tall, rather awkward man named Abe won the Republican race and entered the presidential race. To the surprise of everyone, including the Republican Party, Abe Lincoln won the election. He was the 16th president of the United States and the first Republican president. This led to an immediate uprising. The country was divided and angry. A civil war broke out. In the year of 1863, Abe Lincoln saw the nation was in need of something special. It had been the bloodiest year in the war. There was a fear that the country would never recover, a fear that this was the end. 
Abraham Lincoln read the stories of Sarah Hale and saw in them the joy and peace the country needed. He declared a nationwide day of thanksgiving. But what could the nation be thankful for? Should they be thankful for the end of civilization, the end of a great nation? President Lincoln found things to be grateful for that year, the worst year even today in the nation's history. He called for all people, the North and the South, to come together with family and praise God. They were to thank God for the good fields, the good skies, and they were to look ahead and thank God for the freedom that would soon come to all people. They were to come together as one country and praise God and give thanksgiving. The day was to focus only on blessings. The Civil War did end and slavery was ended. The Democrats, however, continued to fight. A Democrat actor killed Lincoln. Then the Democrats created the KKK, first as a way to stop Republicans from voting in the South, and then as a way to attack and kill black people. The Democrats started Jim Crow laws and they worked hard to stop the freedom that the Republicans were trying to bring. 15 years after that special Thanksgiving in 1878, a young boy dies and brings a law to the surface, a law written by the first Democrat, Andrew Jackson. It started when a man entered a tribal village and ordered that everyone pack up their things and be ready to leave. They were using the Indian Removal Act to force the village to move. The chief was named Standing Bear. Standing Bear had seen already the need for his tribe to be able to live peacefully among the white people. His son attended school with the white people and they attended church. Historians are unclear as to whether they were Christians, but what we do know is that they had a very good understanding of the Bible. The tribe lived in houses and they were living modern, well, modern for the year 1879. The tribe refused to leave. They had lived on this land for more than 200 years, 100 years longer than America had even been a country. They were peaceful and they were living the modern life. They were shocked that this would happen. It had been many years since the Indian Removal Act. Why now? The land was surrounded and Chief Standing Bear saw that his tribe would end up all being killed if they didn't leave. So he agreed his tribe would leave. They were marched 600 miles. A few days into the march, six-month-old baby dies. Her name is White Buffalo Girl. She was the first of many. The tribe arrived in July. It was hot. A heat the people were not used to. There was no shelters built and people died from sun exposure. There was also mosquitoes that carried malaria. In just a few months, one-third of the tribe died. Standing Bear continued to teach his tribe the necessities of learning the white man's language and customs. He believed the people would one day live together in harmony. Then January the 2nd, Standing Bear's son dies of malaria. He is, as he is dying, he begs his father to bring his body back to their home so he can be buried with his ancestors, not in this new land. His father agrees and his son dies. 20 members of the tribe agree to help Chief Standing Bear travel the 600 miles back to their home with the body of his son. They travel through storms and weather of minus 40 degrees. They travel for four months. Then, with just two days away from the burial grounds, they are found and arrested. The man charged with returning the group to the reserve is a man named George Crook. He's a Republican. He fought alongside Grant in the Civil War. 
He has fought for the freedom of all men, and now he sees this group. They're frostbitten, starving, bleeding, and just trying to bury a son. He knows he cannot do what he's been commanded to do. He writes to his superior asking for grace, but it's not granted. George knows he will have to do something he thought he would never do. He's going to have to defy orders. George leaves in the middle of the night and rides to a local newspaper and wakes up a journalist named Thomas Tibbles. He tells Thomas he has a story for him. Thomas comes and interviews Standing Bear. Standing Bear, of course, speaks perfect English and helps Thomas learn all about his story. Thomas prints the story and people all over America begin to read this. For the first time, they hear the story of the tribes being kicked off their land and they hear it from the point of view of the chief. They hear the voice of a grieving father who just wants to bury his son. George also finds a lawyer for Standing Bear, and the lawyer helps Standing Bear sue for his freedom, saying he's being held illegally. But the question is, can a native use the court system? Well, they have to find a judge who will agree to even hear the case. The only judge in the area is out of town on a grizzly bear hunt. So the lawyer goes out into the forest to find this judge. He finds the judge and the judge returns and agrees to hear the case. Interesting is that the case is called Standing Bear versus George Crook. This is because even though George had been the one to find the reporter and the lawyer for Standing Bear, it was George who was supposed to bring Standing Bear back. So it was George who was listed in the case. Standing Bear is the last one to speak at the trial. He stands and holds his hand out towards the judge. He says, My hand is not the same color as yours, but if you prick it, it will bleed the same color as your hand would bleed. I would feel the same pain you would feel. The same God made us. I am a man. I picture a great flood, and I want to lead my people away from the flood. But an army is driving us back into the flood. One man stands in the way. One man can save us all. You, judge, are that man. The judge then spends 10 days thinking about the case. He returns with a Webster Dictionary. The question in the case was this. Is Standing Bear a person? The Webster Dictionary says that a man is an individual of the human race. Clearly, that describes Standing Bear. From that moment on, Indians are legal persons under the law. The case was heard around the world. A human element was brought onto the issue. Standing Bear became a speaker, and he spent the rest of his life traveling all over the United States, speaking and telling his story. He ended up becoming a phenomenal speaker. Then in 1887, Grover Cleveland won the election. He was the first Democrat to win after the Civil War. Grover brought in the General Allotment Act an act that divided up a land again and took even more land away from the tribes. Many tribes were forced into agreeing, and the land given to the natives was small. They were unable to continue farming, and this led to the breakdown in the tribes. Many left the tribes and ended up integrating into the American population. It was not until 1924, under Republican President Calvin Coolidge, that the natives received citizens' rights. In 1941, Franklin D. Roosevelt saw that the nation needed something special again. Things were not going well, so he did what Abraham Lincoln did. He declared a national day of thanksgiving. 
a day that had been celebrated all these years as a tradition, but it was not actually a national holiday. Congress passed this day as a national holiday and Thanksgiving Day was created. It was not until Republican President Nixon came into power that the tribes were given again the right to self-determination, the rights that had been promised at the beginning of the forming of the nation. They were given something special under Nixon, the right to dual citizenship. Each tribe would be seen once again as a separate nation and allowed to govern itself, but each member of the tribe would have citizenship of both the tribe and the country. So, on this American Thanksgiving Day, you're going to hear, Thanksgiving is a day when white people celebrate how they stole the land from the natives. And, yeah, it's a lot more complicated than that. Good things were done by white people, and bad things were done by white people. People in general have the ability to be extremely evil and or extremely good. It comes down to choices, and choices are not determined by the color of one's skin. That should be something we all know by now. Shockingly, it's the Democrats that today in the States are still saying choices are determined by the color of your skin. It was, if you're black, you're evil. Then It was, if you're native, you're evil. Today, it's if you're white, you're evil. How about if you're judging someone by the color of their skin, you're the evil one. So Americans are going to spend time today thanking God. In Canada, why don't we join them? I mean, we're not going to have a big Thanksgiving dinner, but we can still give Thanksgiving. We live in a wonderful time. It might not seem like it all the time with all of the complaining we hear, but we do. We have so much to be thankful for. For starters, we can all calm down and show some love. Find something to be thankful for. We can start by giving thanks to Jesus for saving us. We can thank Jesus for coming here to earth. Something we are starting to celebrate with the Christmas decorations going up all around the neighborhoods where we live. We can thank him for coming, for living a perfect life, a perfect example, and then giving up that life on the cross for our sins. We can thank him for conquering death with his resurrection, and we can thank him for offering us forgiveness. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus, why don't you do it this Thanksgiving weekend? Tell God your story for your sin. Thank him for dying on the cross for your sin and then receive his forgiveness. The Bible says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'm Loralee Siemens. See you next week.